0: This is the Tan Talk Radio Network.
1: Time now for the nationally syndicated radio show, The World of Lori Zook. And now, here she is, the
0: smart, the sexy, the savvy, divine Miss C. And welcome to the show. Now, today, we're going to talk about senior citizens, because they often need a little bit of extra help, but a lot of times, they just can't afford it. And so today, my guest is Robin Ingalls. Robin is the Director of Marketing and Development from SeniorsInService.org, located in Tampa, Florida. Welcome to the show, Robin. Thank you so much for
1: having me, Laurie.
0: Well, tell me a little bit about your background and how you got involved.
1: Okay, my background, I actually have a very corporate background, so how I got to this non-profit is a little strange. I started out as an accountant. I was the controller for the Tampa Bay Lightning, and then I went into software development, and I ran a uh, auto repair franchise business. And then I started my own advertising agency, and I owned that for about five years. And during that time, I started doing some pro bono work for this this little nonprofit that helps senior citizens. So they needed a marketing plan, so I was helping them develop their marketing plan. So I started out as a volunteer for them myself. Okay, and uh, and I actually sold my advertising agency and was kind of wandering around trying to decide what I wanted to do now. And they said, "We love the marketing stuff that you've created. We want to we want to hire." someone to do it. And I said, Oh, no, they're going to screw it up. So you should just (laughs) let me do it. So that was how I ended up at this nonprofit.
0: Very interesting. You did a lot of different things all to come down to helping senior citizens, which I think is great. Now, how did the organization actually come to be created? The organization has been around since
1: 1984. So we've been around for a while. And we were originally started in an initiative by Senator Sam Gibbons here in Florida. To uh, help, we were seeing the the trend in in for seniors that uh, they they needed to be engaged. People were aging differently now. It was not retire and then pass away. Right. It was retire and then years of of active life and so they needed engagement and then also we were seeing as as the population was aging that pe- people needed more help and people were far from their own families often that became that was starting to become right. a problem you didn't live in the same town anymore that your kids did so they were around and then, of course, you know, income differences, people have different access to different things. So we started seeing all of these opportunities, and, and it was really visionary to try and start to put something together in 1984 to handle these societal trends.
0: Gotcha. And that's a lot of work. I volunteered in the past for nonprofits as well. So generally, you have very little funds to try to, you know, do a lot of work to help a lot of people or whatever the organization is, in my case, is with, with, with dogs. Um, Let's talk a little bit about your board of directors and members. Who they are, what they do. Mm-hmm.
1: Our board of directors—we, <clears throat> our volunteers, do work with the school system in uh, Pinell- in all of Tampa Bay, so Pinellas County and Hillsboro. So we have board members who are from the school board, from the school system, and then we also have lots of business people who are interested in senior issues. They're particularly—they're often called to our board because they have an issue in their own life. Like they have an elderly parent who needed caregiving. And so they start to see these issues and they, they like me, get involved
0: and want to help in a bigger way. I gotcha. Okay. who Who's actually the president of the organization?
1: Our president, her name is Tammy Criolo. She's a Tampa native and she uh, came from the Center for Women. So she has a deep nonprofit history. She was there for 19 years and now she's been with us for six now. And uh, so she has a, d- a deep commitment to the community and to nonprofit work, and she's really brought our the organization forward during her time.
0: Okay, so it sounds like most of the people have been called in some respect to do this, like you said, because there's may- there may be some issue where they're realizing it. You know, I know, I only know a little bit, but I know for seniors, sometimes there are, there are services available but a lot of them, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that, a lot of them don't know about org. Now, your organization, are you pretty much local, like you said, to the Tampa area?
1: We are. We're local to Tampa Bay, so Hillsborough and Pinellas counties. However, the program, some of the programs that we uh, sort of manage and initiate here are available in other cities,
0: Right, which led me to my next question, which is, you know, are there other org or similar type organizations in, in other parts of the United States? I mean, how would somebody even know? The, there are,
1: and we can help you find them.
0: And in the oh, worst case, come come to us,
1: and we will help find similar programs in your city. Um, but there is a place to go. Uh, the, our programs, our biggest programs are called the Foster Grandparent Program, the Senior Companion Program, and the Retired and Senior Volunteer Program. So if you were to Google any of those in your city, you would find your local affiliate. They may have a different name. They may not be called Seniors in Service, but those programs are a national... Sort of affiliation.
0: I gotcha. Who funds these? These is it all? Is it corporations that are funding it, or private people that are funding? Each each local,
1: each town with their own entity that that runs these programs has their own way of doing it. But we we all have one common funder, and that's the. Sort of the federal arm of social services it 's called the Corporation for National and Community Service, and so they they 're a large funder, and then we, we are required to get additional local funding because that to show that the local community is also in these initiatives as well. so there are local corporate funders there are, are other um, government funders, lots we get funding from the county as well and and the city because these are real issues that are being dealt with societally
0: right. Now, how many people, and I don't know if you can answer this, but how many people do you, do you help each year?
1: Do, well, it, for each program, uh, it, dep- it depends which one. But overall, we help over, close to 1,000 people a year. And when we talk in individually about each program, I'll tell you exactly who it is we're helping and in what way.
0: I gotcha. And what kind of fa- financial transparency does your organization have?
1: We have an audit that's that's public, and a, a, the document in nine, nine ninety. The, the document in nonprofits is called the nine ninety. That's a public document that people can view that has all of our financial information. And for example, it shows in our case ninety three cents of every dollar goes directly to program services. So that's what a donation gets. Ninety-three cents of every dollar is out in the community actually dealing with these issues. Right, and
0: that's a high percentage because I don't know if you've read, you know, people post on Facebook and you see, and I won't name organizations, but some of these very large organizations that are nonprofits – that you think are spending most of the money that they're raising to help the people in their program are actually paying their corporate executives and only a few cents out of every dollar is actually going to help those. So while they may be billed as nonprofits, in reality's sake, to me anyway, that's really saying you're for-profit because you're spending almost nothing. And in your case, your organization is spending almost you know the, the 93 cents out of every dollar to actually – help the people in the organization which is impressive so that means you work on only 7% so -hmm. you've got to raise enough money to try to to help that's, that's big now for your program seniors in service let's talk about what are the age requirements and who gets help
1: our volunteers are 55 and older. Now, we also have some other volunteers. For example, our board of directors, they're all volunteers. And for example, myself, I'm, I'm not 55, but I came on to help. So we have these other, we're just, our, our mission is to engage people in volunteerism. But most of our volunteers are 55 and older. That's really where we focus. And the idea is that it's, at, from from Senator Sam Gibbons' original vision, that, that we have this population now, 55 and older, that are very active, very experienced, very available, and they want to give back to the community now with with their their last third of life, and that that that's that's the mission, that's the goal, is to engage and use all that energy and vitality.
0: So I'm guessing that you probably have like a lot of retired people that are maybe in their 50s or 60s that are still in physically good good health. That want to do something is that primarily who you're getting to help these older people that I'm guess I'm going to guess here probably 70s 80s 90s and above.
1: We do. We actually have the whole spectrum. We have people that as soon they're waiting to turn 55 so they can come volunteer in our programs because they're they're so excited about our mission and so they're 55. They they are, some of them are still working. Some of them are retired and then our age spectrum goes way up. We have volunteers in their 80s and and wow. they will say to us my volunteering is what keeps me young and vital in my 80s doing this right
0: because it's giving them something positive to do to help other people now how does how do seniors find you i mean if they maybe they don't have a computer how do you i mean you might market on the computer they might not have a computer how are how do they become aware or how do you reach them when they don't have a computer, what is the marketing plan?
1: Yeah, well, I can tell you right now in this part of the marketing plan, call us at our office, 813-932-5228. So, and we'll give that again later. But uh, that just call us right now. Our st- We have a staff of 13 people, and every single person of those 13 is devoted to volunteerism, and particularly volunteerism of people 55 and older. The additional marketing plan, we, we do lots of sort of community outreach where people 55 and older are hanging out. So, senior centers, um, activities that cater to people 55 and older. There are lots of events now. The whole, Like we said, the whole society is becoming aware of this age group and how vital and wonderful they are. And right. so we sort of hang out where they are and talk about service. And for this generation, you know, Service has been a, a way of life for them, particularly the, the silent generation, it's called, the people, the World War II generation. They, um, it, it, was, it was part of their youth, and, and they served, they went to church, they, uh, they supported causes, they understood helping neighbors, they were very attached to their community. So we don't have to sort of sell volunteerism as much as present opportunities.
0: I gotcha. Now, that kind of brings me to my, my next topic, which is which is loneliness. And that's a reason that a lot of seniors probably don't want to leave their house. A lot of them become reclusive, don't have the family members or friends. Maybe that, you know, one thing you hear from a lot of seniors is most of my friends have died or most of my, my family is not around. So I want to talk a little bit about that and maybe share some actual stories. You don't have to give names, but share some stories about the loneliness factor of it, and then maybe some stories about how you've helped people in that situation.
1: That is what we see. We see this sort of as people age sort of a shutting down and, and like you said, maybe their friends are passing away, their family's passing away. Here in the Tampa Bay area, lots of people come here to retire. So their their kids are not here, their grandkids are not here, a lot of their church that they grew up in is not here, their community they they've they've moved away from that. And only only some of them connect again to the to the community here and so that has that's the risk is that they sort of um, their world gets smaller and smaller as they get older and that's what we don't want to happen because their world can get bigger and bigger with more community more connection so that's the focus the the loneliness is is what we battle and also and also spouses passing away too is very difficult someone who's had a spouse you know for 40 50 years and and now to not have them and their lifestyle is completely different. And I I'd, I'd like to talk in terms of stories about um, we do something called respite care as well which is where we're seeing now in the population where we have a there's a sandwich generation where say parents are in the 80s and then say you're in your 50s and then you have kids who are 20 somethings and still living with you. And so now this person in their fifties is financially responsible for everyone, emotionally responsible for everyone. And they're carrying just so much weight. And so this is, this is something that we're really focused on is trying to reach the sandwich generation to keep them engaged and then to support them in supporting their elderly parents. And the idea is to bring us all together, to bring us all together. So for example, with our senior companion program, (coughs) sometimes we'll we'll meet someone who's in their 50s and they may even come volunteer with us and we find out that they have someone in their parents are in their 80s and they need a lot of assistance they have to spend a, a lot of time with them they have to they may miss work a lot supporting them and so their life is just full of stress so our senior companion volunteers go in and spend time with the the parents in their 80s and allow the the person in their 50s the child to get some time on their own so they can breathe and so they can be more effective in every aspect of their life and sort of lift some of that weight. And that's, that's an example of how we intervene. It's um, it's very holistic approach to helping entire generation, entire family.
0: Right, because you have the, the, the pressure. I know, because my mom, fortunately, is in good health, but I, she moved down here about a, about a year ago and she's, well, I won't tell you how old because she'll get mad, but she's in her 70s. She's in pretty good health. But when she first moved down here, she didn't have a car. So then I had to, you know, and, I, and no problems doing it, but I had to go down and drive and help her around and do the grocery shopping. And so what I found was I love my mom, but it became a lot of pressure to. Try to do that every day and have to deal with the rest of life. So I can see where, you know, having a program like what you're talking about, somebody coming in that maybe can be friend. Maybe a lot of these people I think are probably, they, they need companionship or they need friendship. And if they're not driving, and they can't leave the house what do you do and listen i've heard of programs where or not even programs situations where say p- it's elderly people in an apartment complex and they almost have like a chain where every morning one calls the next calls the next calls the next to make sure everybody's okay and i have a family member i do that with in new york where uh, you know every morning basically we text and and one time i didn't hear from her and i actually called the concierge at the at her apartment complex to say I can't get a hold of her. Can someone go up to the apartment and check? Because you don't know if that person has fallen. Um, And and now, how do you get that person help, particularly if you're in another state? So maybe talk a little bit like, you know, if if you're a senior living here in the Tampa area and you don't have a lot of friends and you have no family in the area, does a senior companion, do they come daily? How do you know that that person involved in the program is okay is that they're alive and okay
1: yeah they, here's the process if someone needs this type of help they would call us and we would go out and sort of assess what you need because it is a very personal process. This is not sort of a formula that we're plugging you in in your health insurance or something like that. This is, it's, it's, there's no, no charge to the clients, to the people who need help. And we assess, the first thing we do is we come out, our staff comes out and assesses what, what's going on with you. you know what, what level of support do you need? Is it something where um, you do just need someone to visit maybe twice a week? You just need someone to visit, um, maybe someone to run errands with you. We see that sometimes where um, the person can still drive. They live independently. They can still drive. However, when they go run errands, sometimes they'll get confused or have memory issues. So our companion will go with them and and sort of just be there with them and help help you know remind them what's going on in their shopping list and sort of run errands with them.
0: Right, it's making me think of the silver alerts because if you have someone that maybe is borderline and I don't know if the, the volunteers you send in can... They probably can sense if somebody has uh, Alzheimer's or dementia. Then you might have to get them. I'm assuming more advanced help. But that's when you see those silver alerts where people, elderly people, get in their car, forgot where they're going, and they're just on the road and they're totally lost, and no one knows where they're where they are.
1: And I think of our senior companions every time I see one of those silver alerts because of that. Because this is this is the the key of what we're doing when we. We know that the the clock is against people when they have these things developing, when they have Alzheimer's, dementia, th- these things are progressive. And so if we can buy them another month, another year living independently the way they want to be living um, before the the condition gets to a point where they need a different intervention – that's that's a victory for all of us that well, we've helped that person.
0: It is because most people when they're seniors and they're in that condition, they don't want to leave their home. I can't tell you how many friends I know that say, My mother will not leave and they you know, and a lot of times they are in pretty decent they're still mentally competent. Um, now what happens though if they they can drive? Does a companion will a companion actually drive them? Like if they have to go pick up medication or food shop, what, what does the companion do? What will they do?
1: We don't actually, the, our companions don't actually drive them, but they can ride with them if they're going somewhere with their errands, or they can run errands for them. I see. So if they have a list, if they need their prescriptions picked up, if they need some groceries purchased, uh, the companion can do that for them. That is something that they do. In addition to the, the friendship, companionship services, where they spend time with them. They read, they play games, they, you know, often um, they like to tell their stories and so it's someone to hear the stories and and enjoy them just as a person and we and you were talking about uh the the sort of phone tree checking on each other i hear that from lots of our senior companions that they uh will call their client will call them or they will call their client first thing in the morning or last thing at night that's the type of friendship and bond that they create that they check in with each other and you, you hear those tragic stories about Someone having falling, for example, and not being found for some time and that's what we want to n- not let happen. We want to connect them with with a community, with someone who cares, who they so they will not en- end up in that sort of tragic story.
0: So, I'm assuming that a lot of these volunteers that you have truly become friends. It's not they're volunteering obviously to help the community, but my guess would be they're becoming friends with these people. It's almost like they're extended family. Exactly.
1: That's the part I couldn't have imagined until I started meeting some of these incredibly giving, compassionate senior companions. They're they're volunteering for their, their own reasons of course, but then they do become friends. It's so much more. And that's what they'll tell you, that that the volunteering itself and making the friends what it gives them is so valuable.
0: Now is there are there situations where let's say you have several volunteers going to several, you know, they each have their own group of people. Does anyone try to connect that group of all those people together to kind of say, hey, we've got you know, I've always thought here, let me back up. I've always wondered why, if you have a group of maybe seniors that live in homes that are reclusive and, you know, they kind of shut down, they've lost a spouse, if somehow there was a way to connect them. You know, you've heard of meetup groups where people meet up for a specific reason. Wouldn't it be great if all of these seniors that maybe were more alone and reclusive were able to meet up and then develop an extended family from that? That would be my ideal World. Yeah,
1: we do try and connect them in that way, and, and we find, you know, as we get to know them better, uh, cultural things they have in common or background or where they're from and sort of continue to, continuing to connect them and network them. And in some cases, for example, um, low-income housing, there will be like a tower. You know, there will be lots of people who need help in a tower, and we'll do activities that will bring the companions and the clients together and to try and create more of a community within the facility. Because, I got gotcha. like, said that in some cases they don't they don't go anywhere but in when they're in that situation they can have people nearby and they can they can connect right there where they live
0: right i mean what that, that's a positive you know one of the saddest things i think is when family when they're when their kids or grandkids don't keep in touch with the elderly person and you know you look at other countries like for japan for example where the elders are respected and then you look at I hate to say America, and there 's not so much respect for the elders. a lot of times I feel like they 're discarded almost as like useless and I find that a disturbing trend, and maybe it 's more so for the younger generation than for me i 'm in my fifties, you know where I look at my elderly family members and say. These people know everything. In essence, they are walking history books. Now, you and I spoke a little bit before the show, so you know I sometimes interview uh, famous musicians. A lot of them are elderly. Well, we're going to talk 60s, 70s, 80s. I even had a a 90-year-old celebrity on the show. And so when I interview them, it's what they tell me. I get chills because they're telling stories of things that existed Back in say the 1940s and 50s, and you hear these stories and go, Wow, I didn't know I got chills just talking to you about it. So, I think seniors, it's in a way, it would be nice almost if seniors would have some way to memorialize their life. You know, that's their legacy to say, Hey, I was here and this is who I am and this is what I did. And so, it would be nice if you know. People would respect their elders in that respect.
1: Yeah, gathering their stories is really wonderful. And and I can tell you, I was talking to one of our senior companion volunteers who was honored this past year by the Tampa Bay Business Journal as a hero at work because he specifically helps with veterans, Mr. Wiggins. And he said to me, one of the things that, that breaks his heart is when he sees the family members who will do for them but not do with them. And what he meant by that was that he, he has a client where he can call the son, and the son will send money or whatever he needs, but he won't spend any time with his father.
0: And the time is what's more important, really, than the money. It's, it's the love. Where is the love for the person that raised you? All right, so tell me a little bit more about – this This is the guy who was the 2016 Heroes. So tell me a little bit more about him.
1: Okay, and he's, he is one of these seniors that has this amazing story about – he he went into the military when he was whatever right out of high school i don't even know if he finished high school i can't remember that now but uh and he he was he's african american and he broke down these barriers in in at his boot camp that he talks about them now that Uh, he things he did, and he just did it because that's who he is. But when he tells the stories, it's amazing. Like they were referred to as darkies, and just horrible, horrible things. And he stood up to that and said, "You know, you must not be talking to me." you know made people see him as an individual and he he doesn't even see what how groundbreaking that was for him to to, to take that stand and for other African American males to see him take that stand and then when he went later on to work in a in a factory environment he said that the testing for, to work in the factory was actually set up so black males would not pass the test and so then he would go and teach them before they were going to come and teach them the secret to the test and how to sort of do the test, it sounded like it was kind of a physical pulley kind of thing, and teach it to them so they could come and pass the test and get the job at the, the good job at the factory.
0: Right. This is the kind of leader he is. That's it, and that's inherent within his soul. And I think that's that's in a, in a lot of people. I like to think that that's in myself. And when I look, and this is a little off topic, but when you when you look at people and you judge them by their their color, their race, their ethnicity. That is ridiculous, okay, because on the inside, we are all the same. And you are, you either, you know, basically you're either a person who is good and seeks to do good and philanthropy, or something has happened to you and you're going the other way in the other direction but it has nothing to do with what color your skin is and those were a lot of stories i heard from some of these these musicians was about race and segregation and staying in different hotels and so that just makes me sad that that still goes on today why another off topic but why parents you know, don't teach that teach children we're all the same yeah. you know and so that's a little disturbing to me but i want to get back to seniors in service but what we're going to do we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back in just a moment
1: consumers do you have bad credit can't purchase a house or car paying too much in interest on your credit cards and loans scammed by credit repair companies there is hope You can get back on track and do it the right way. Call Credit Education Consultants today at 813-500-6064. That's 813-500-6064. Or go to CreditEducationConsultants.com now and get the help you need. Don't delay. Call today. Mortgage reps and realtor inquiries are also welcomed. Central Payment, your number one
0: credit card merchant service provider in the industry. Providing e commerce solutions, POS systems, standalone terminals, mobile apps, and much more, call Central Payments James Carner at 813 777 4332. Looking for the lowest rates in the industry and number one customer service? Call Central Payments James Carner at 813 777 4332. That's James Carner, 813 777 4332. Welcome back to the world of Lori Zook. My guest, Robin Ingalls. She is the Director of Marketing and Development for Seniors in Service. So we've been talking about senior citizens and how her organization helps seniors that need help. So one of the things we want to talk about next are foster grandparents. Tell me about foster grandparents.
1: This is another program that we have where we recruit volunteers 55 and older to help in challenge schools. So what they do is the volunteers commit to at least 15 hours per week of service to go be in a classroom. In a, they're Title I schools. So these are um, schools where 85% of the kids get subsidized lunch and breakfast. Um, so, so these are kids that are in low economic areas, sort of have challenges. Our volunteers are there in the classrooms as one-on-one tutors to help them learn how to read and do math.
0: Gotcha. That's that's impressive. I mean, I've actually seen, occasionally I've seen Facebook postings where they show the seniors in the school system with the little kids. What I find is not only does it help the kids, it keeps the seniors alive with a purpose in life. It does. That's what the seniors will tell you, that going
1: and helping kids every day is what keeps them young, keeps them vital, keeps them purposeful. And they, and the, the the a child's relationship to someone of a grandparent type, someone of that age, and someone who sort of um, represents kind of the old school way of doing things. A, a foster grandparent can can say things to a child that that they can hear that a teacher may not be able to say, and have have a child hear. They can right. they can be uh, nurturing in a different way, and they can also be sort of tough, tough lovish in a different way. Like, and this isn't how we did it back in my day. You're going to learn to read. You're going to they kind of hold them to a high standard and that actually motivates a lot of these troubled kids that don't have uh someone at home or a single parent yeah who's who's sort of telling them that that no they can do it and they're good enough and for for all the 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 parents own issues you know so that may be that way but so so to have this other person in the classroom every single day helping them learn these skills and helping them learn to read is going to give them a chance that they wouldn't have had
0: that's it and that's that's really key because if they're they're going home and maybe they're in a bad home situation so when you go home to a bad home situation You're not feeling too good about yourself. There would be low self-esteem there. Then you're going into the school. but teachers are probably limited as far as what they can actually say and do. So that's a great solution. So now you have a volunteer foster grandparent who is, like you said, kind of setting the tough love and trying to encourage them to learn. And and that's very interesting to me psychologically because if you don't have that – That accounts for why we have so many problems in society with children. Um, Can you think of any specific stories with that? I can. The
1: the teachers will tell us often uh, that 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 kind of stress in in poverty, home life, um, creates social-emotional problems where kids can't behave. And to have that foster grandparent that then can pull that child aside, it allows the whole class to run more smoothly. I have have one example that... uh, this this foster grandparent is actually in a special needs classroom. And so there's a child in the classroom who was deaf. And he, because of sort of just his traumatized young life, he uh, couldn't look people in the eye. So just imagine this child is deaf. He has no way to communicate, and he can't look at other humans in the eye. So total loneliness for this little guy. And our grandparent worked with him was just available to him they have they have training we train them but they're not psychologists by any means and they're just available emotionally and and there for them and this little boy over the course of a few months learned to look people in the eye learned to read became one of their best readers in the classroom just because he was getting this sort of love and attention and acceptance that he had not seen before.
0: Now, are the foster grandparents allowed to communicate with the children outside of school, or it's primarily just while they're there?
1: We try and keep it in school, but we we know that that happens because we recruit our volunteers from within a five mile radius of the school. We want them to live in that neighborhood. We want them to see them at the grocery store and to see and to even you know introduce grandma. They they say they run up to them right. in the grocery store, grandma, grandma, and then they introduce them to their parents and that they know their they're, they're lives. And and it gives our, our volunteers credibility that they understand what life is like.
0: They live right there, too. I think it should be in every school not just low-income schools. I think it would change the lives of a, of a lot of children, even in schools that are more affluent that still may have the same kind of problems separate from money. It would be such a – I mean, I think it's a brilliant way to go about doing it. So hopefully someday maybe what you're doing will spread nationwide and be able to help a lot of these kids. Um, Anything else you wanted to talk about on foster grandparents before I go to the next topic?
1: Um, The the foster grandparent program is is very unique, and I just wanted to make sure that 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 message gets out. Like you said, it should be in every school. It should be in every classroom. Every teacher would love to have it. Every grandparent would find a a sense of purpose there. And then kids would learn to read or learn to communicate or learn to do math. This is an intervention that's incredibly cost-effective, And incredibly effective that
0: we should have everywhere. It sounds like it. I agree. Now, on your website, I saw something called RSVP Sharing Skills. So can you explain what that is and talk about it a little bit?
1: Yes. RSVP is the Retired and Senior Volunteer Program. And that one is where we partner with other nonprofits to help them with their mission. So we recruit the 55 and older volunteers who have all this experience and all this passion and all this vitality and then partner with other nonprofits to engage the community. For example, we'll partner with a Food Bank to help bring volunteers in and help support the food bank and their mission. And this makes us we're very well known in the nonprofit community because of this. And part of my goal is to get us out into the general public to, to so more people know about us in general because the nonprofits, they they see us as an asset where we can bring these incredible volunteers. Right. And often they'll be skills based volunteers. Sometimes say that same food bank uh needs help with their accounting, with their books, and we have we have of, uh, you know, retired bookkeepers, retired accountants, who want to use those skills. They want to. They don't want to be in that business anymore, but they would love to still continue to use those skills in a mission that serves the world. And so, we can make that kind of connection that can really grow a nonprofit.
0: Okay, talk more a little bit more about some of these other or can you name organizations that you've partnered with and and how you know how you find each other? Is I'm guessing through some of these these uh, events that you go to.
1: Yes, we partner with uh lots of lots of food banks. Uh for example, um Metropolitan Ministries and Meals on Wheels. Uh lots of and lots of senior related other causes. Uh lots of senior centers we partner with. Um, there's a, there's a place called New Life Village that it has to do. It's an intergenerational community that's sort of an experiment here in Tampa Bay, and okay. we recruit volunteers to help with that to to grow that concept where where older people are living with younger people and and. Um, Intergenerational sort of interventions.
0: Talk about that a little, because I've never heard of that. <coughs> um, it's a community. It's uh, it's something
1: like thirty six houses. It's it's fairly small because it's it's a pilot program to see if this can work. The intergenerational building of um, connecting a community in this way. Um, that's that's something. One of the people we work with.
0: That, that, that's a good idea because nowadays you see either mostly family communities or. Senior communities. And so when you, uh, you know, I can understand to some extent seniors might say, well, you know, I don't want to be as involved in all these activities. I, I live in a family community where there are some seniors, it's mostly families, but what a good idea it would be if it was back integrated so that, you know, you have a situation where maybe you have someone elderly living in a home. Uh, you may, maybe one of your volunteers is checking on them a couple of times a week, but boy, wouldn't it be nice if the next-door neighbor went, hey, let me check every day or knock on their door or give them a phone call and say, hey, are you okay? Mm-hmm. And I think, I don't know, I think that's an important thing nowadays. It
1: is, and maybe maybe they can give them, when they're going to the grocery store anyway, give them a ride, give their elderly neighbor a ride to the grocery store. And this creates what we were talking about where they get to live independently for as long as possible because that's what everyone wants.
0: Right. I agree. Now, what is... Operation Connect.
1: Operation Connect is the other things that we do, like helping kids in school or helping homebound elderly. This is specifically around veterans. So we will recruit veteran volunteers to help with military kids in schools, for example, um, because the the we find that the military community speaks a language that that is unique to them. So maybe a, a military child, a child in a military family. They um, th- maybe their parents are deployed. they, they have unique, unique, uh, experiences that a veteran can reach them and help them sort of deal with whatever's going on, or veteran to veteran in a homebound elderly situation, or, or someone who's disabled and living alone, okay. um, a veteran to veteran, and that's Mr. Wiggins that I was talking about. He um, specifically is part of Operation Connect. He's veteran to veteran because there's a language that they can speak that they that they can understand each other. It gives them an immediate common ground,
0: right? Because they're kind of in a different world. I've had friends who are military. Rats, as they call them, who moved every other year, and now the kids have to find new friends every single time, let alone the parents having to deal with the same thing, so I, I, I get that um, what i 'm going to guess bill payer you offer some type of assistance to help people manage paying their bills
1: exactly we have uh, home bail and elderly. Um, who it's not it's not a question of giving them money to pay it's a question of maybe they don't see well or maybe they can't write as well, and that's the kind of thing that would would allow them to not live independently anymore if they can't get that paid so we have volunteers who will help them uh, you know sort of organize their checkbook, make sure their bills are coming, make sure everything's paid, just sort of keep them organized to help them stay independent financially not not with financial support but with support on how to get all that done because it can be overwhelming and imagine if if you're getting older and you're not seeing as well or, or arthritis in your hands and you can't write how how frustrating that would be that simple task what used to be so easy and you can't get your bills paid Right, and so what, what what can happen then? The tidal wave of disaster that can happen from that simple task not being able to get
0: done. Right, I thought of that myself. I sit here and go, one day when I'm when I'm elderly and maybe I may be in bad shape and I have no family left. What's going to happen, and who's going to be able to help me? And maybe a lot of people my age in their fifties don't think that. I think that because I'm sort of proactive, and I go, I need to have some type of a plan in place. Now, what happens in a situation where maybe one of your volunteers sees that somebody is getting to the point where they – even with the help of a volunteer, they're not going to be able to help them much longer? I mean, I'm sure there are situations where you see signs and now – what happens to that person and does your organization assist them to whatever the next step is
1: we do we are very tied in with all of the other elderly agencies so as someone starts to progress maybe in a, in a mental condition or just in physical ability of course we'll involve the family that that you know may or may not be there that they it's their their decision as a family but we'll also bring in other agencies to sort of move to the next step and that that's part of what we do to try and transition that easily and see if there are intermediate steps that can allow them to continue to live independently somehow before um, sort of a full on, you know, assisted living situation.
0: Now, what happens if they have and maybe you can answer this? What happens if they have no family? You know, at this point, they're on Social Security and, and Medicare. Does that typically, if they have no family no one to help, then do you kind of help transition them to assisted living in that type of a situation also?
1: We do. We help connect them with the agencies. There are agencies that do nothing but that, okay. particularly for low income or or no family support. Or the, the, that does exist, that type of support. So we help sort of hand them off. And then in some cases, they'll move to a situation like that, some sort of assisted living, and their companion may stay with them for mm. some time. To help to, them transition? Yes. So they still have their friend and in some cases i'm, I'm sure that, that their official volunteering is over with them and they stay in touch because they do become friends i
0: think that's great that, that's, that, that's super um volunteers how do you attract them
1: we look everywhere for volunteers like i said we are everywhere that people over 55 like to hang out and we 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 just describe what it's like to have this feeling of giving back and how you can help someone else and people are naturally attracted to it. They just need to hear the story and, and particularly people 55 and older that are That are looking, looking at their lives and looking at what, what, looking back, looking forward, thinking about what, what do I want my life to look like right now? Because it seems like you have so much choice when you get to that part of your life. You're not, you're not raising children anymore. You're not chasing your career. Now's the time when you can really look at purposeful life. And and people think about volunteering when they think about purposeful life.
0: Okay do they do they volunteer? Is there a minimum amount of hours? A maximum? Is it different for everybody? Some some of the programs, the foster
1: grandparent and the senior companion programs, they they serve at least fifteen hours a week. It's a very very intense volunteer commitment, and the the people who do it say that it that it pays off in in what they get you know seeing those kids every day seeing those same homebound elderly becoming friends but then that's why we have the rsvp program where they can also do senior companionship within that program then that's a that's one hour a month it's whatever you want to serve it's it's completely open and it's got senior companionship it's got mentoring kids in schools it's got food help it's got using your skills it's got everything
0: Okay. Let me ask you now, when volunteers volunteer and they're, for example, driving to the schools or someone's home, they're paying out of their own pocket, I'm assuming, to, to do all that. They're in a situation where they're, they're in a pretty good financial situation and they can spend their own money and then just take a tax write-off.
1: Actually, it depends on the program. We do have some, uh, do have some in senior companion and foster grandparent where there are actually some uh, financial compensation that is available for this kind of commitment to their volunteer work, which is wonderful. It's, it's, um, you know, no one, no one is getting rich off of this volunteering, but it is nice to help support, particularly someone low income who wants to help.
0: Right. Exactly. And and to
1: be able to just sort of support them a little bit economically.
0: I gotcha. Okay. You're talking, and you were talking a little bit about the volunteer positions. So that's right. So the volunteer positions, Maybe maybe go through them a little bit more detailed. Okay. So I, I come to you and, and and you say, okay, I have these positions available. And then I'm assuming you try to find the best match.
1: Yeah. First thing we'll do is we'll ask, what are you interested in? What do you want to do? What, what do you feel passionate about? And, you know, you don't even have to know that right off the bat. You can just guess because we can okay. always replace you. So if you say you're interested in kids... We'll find it an opportunity for you mentoring, tutoring kids. If you're interested in ho- homebound elderly or people with disabilities or veterans, we customize it completely. And that's, that's, that's the point of us is finding the right volunteer opportunity for you to serve.
0: Okay. <coughs> now, a lot of seniors, they can't afford services through Medicare. Is there any way for your organization to relieve some of that financial pressure? Is that, again, going back to other organizations like Medicaid, for example? They'll, they'll help connect them?
1: services are completely free to the clients but um, additional services yes we can help make them connected and connected and and we because we are so tightly uh, you know uh, affiliated with all of these other agencies we can sort of help them navigate because sometimes that's the problem is sort of navigating where to get what help.
0: Okay, now I don't know if you know the answer to this question, but I had looked on your site. Uh, The fellow that won the 2016 Hero of the Year Award, there was something about 10 keys to success for him. Do you know what those were?
1: Oh, let me see if I brought the 10 keys. If
0: you don't, people I know can go on to to your site, but it seemed like he developed his own little system, so to speak, that said, hey, this is how I do it. And I think that that sets a good role model you know, his success sets a good role model for other volunteers.
1: He did. He did. He broke it down in just this way that, that only someone of great experience is able to do. Broke it down into the 10 rules to live your life.
0: And please go to our website, org to find that. Okay. Now, you your organization also won the 2016 Tampa Bay Business Journal Nonprofit of the Year for Family Services. So congratulations. I think that's a pretty big award. Thank you. Uh, How can listeners help? How can they help? Well, absolutely
1: call us and volunteer. We love that. And, of course, we can always, as a nonprofit, use your financial support. We have an annual campaign going on that uh, you can support either a foster grandparent or a senior companion for just $300 a month. We can get these types of interventions where the volunteer is serving at least 15 hours a week. Okay. For just that, for just that amount.
0: Now, people or corporations, I'm assuming, can they sponsor events?
1: They can, yes. We hold we hold two fundraising events a year, one in Pinellas County and one in Hillsborough County in April and September. And absolutely, come. We, we love sponsors. We love corporate sponsors. We love to show how corporate uh, entities are interested in these issues because they are issues for all of us. And so we can um, highlight them. They can be part of it. And we're always looking for more partnerships to um, get the word out, to create more more energy around these topics, be part of this conversation that's big.
0: Right. Now, one of the things I wanted you to talk about, because I know with the organization I volunteer for, you can actually put something in your will to donate money, some of your money if you pass away, to that organization do you want to talk about that a little bit that's absolutely right and that that's
1: very helpful to an organization like us if if you're passing away and trying to decide if if you're planning about passing away and trying to decide what to do with with your money even a small donation just sort of left in your will can can help an organization like ours be sustained over a long term
0: okay let's talk about some of your upcoming events what, what What's happening soon?
1: I'm actually leaving mm-hmm. straight from here to go to Plant City to do a food distribution event. where We're going to get a whole bunch of people to pack up food for the food bank out in Plant City. We have one coming up in Sun City Center uh, on December 9th. That's a Friday uh, in Sun City Center and actually in Kings Point. We're going to be doing a food drive there where we're packing up all this food for the needy um uh, the needy people of Waimama, that community, and we're we're partnering with another, uh, with two other nonprofits. One is Our Lady of Guadalupe Food Pantry, do, doing great work in Waimama for the a lot of the migrant population there, and then also the Mary Petro Fund of the uh, Community Foundation of Tampa Bay. They support seniors in Sun City Center who need medicine or food. So they do medicine and food and then we do companionship. This is the kind of partnering we do to help people holistically with their whole life.
0: Gotcha. Now, using service, they also offer I saw that you have an online newsletter. People can sign up and they, they get a newsletter. Talk about the newsletter. What, what information is in that newsletter that oh, can help them? The
1: newsletter is wonderful. It tells stories about w- what our volunteers are doing, what how our volunteers um, can get recognition, different sort of uh, events we have coming up. We have a recognition event that's a luncheon coming up on December 8th where all of our volunteers come. They get treated like the stars that they are. The theme is hats off to volunteers, and uh, they'll get a sumptuous meal. It's at the Pepin Hospitality Center. Um, This is the kind of thing we do to appreciate our volunteers as well. So that kind of thing is in the newsletter. And then um, sort of um, lots of things about the different programs. Because some of our volunteers, if you're, for example, a senior companion, you may not know what the foster grandparents are up to. So you'll get to read stories about them and how... Where those, those that group is intervening with kids, and this group is intervening with homebound elderly, and so so you just get a sense of the the newsletter itself creates community,
0: right? But when you have these events, all these people get to meet each other, all these volunteers, yes. And I'm assuming that's probably how you get more volunteers, and then you know talking about it throughout the the community. Um, sort of on a sad note, I, I want to ask you a question. Do you have to work at all, like with adult protective services? Do you ever have, have situations where, you know, one of your companions goes in and finds a bad situation?
1: We do get that, and we, we have definitely seen that. We just recently had an incident where we found um, one of our senior companions was, was, was started visiting a client, and we found that the, the client's granddaughter was supposedly helping her with her bills, and she was actually taking her money. So we do. We see it, and and all we can do is be grateful that that companion came in and intervened there. And so we we call the elder abuse hotline there and initiate to support that person. And the and the client now is so grateful and so much more independent. She was living under this incredible financial stress that was not, not her problem, really hers.
0: Yes, and it's sad because I actually hear a lot of stories like that. Uh, we just got a couple of minutes before we close. Can you just quickly kind of tell me? You know, what are the future goals of your organization? We definitely want to
1: grow. We want to grow the support of the community. We want to get more community partners, more missions of other nonprofits we can support, and we want more foster grandparents and more senior companions and more volunteers in general. We just want to have more impact because this part of the population is getting bigger, and and they're so vibrant and so available, in a way that historically has not been the way of people of this age. Right. And we wanted, we wanted to utilize that and, and, and give purpose to the volunteers and impact to the community.
0: Excellent, excellent interview talking to you today. I learned a lot. I'm hoping that our listeners learned a lot also. I'm hoping that people step up and do something. I mean, you know, you hear people in different – now you hear in the United States, I don't know if you've heard, in other countries – Military service is required. My feeling is volunteer service should be required of everybody. If everybody volunteered one hour a week with some organization, this entire world would change on just that one hour a week. So I I want to thank you for coming today, Robin Ingalls. How can... You be reached. If you you can find us on the internet,
1: seniorsinservice.org, or call us. What we do is very personal. 813 932
0: 5228. Very good. Thanks for joining us, and join us again next week on The World of Lori Zook.